Welcome to Black Mirror Reflections, a series of conversations aimed at carefully thinking through the technology, philosophy, morality, and politics of the Black Mirror series. I'm your host, Dr. J, and each episode I'll be joined by an invited guest to discuss one installment of Black Mirror. Today, we'll be discussing Striking Vipers, the first episode of season five of Black Mirror. My guest is Adriel Trott, associate professor and chair of philosophy at Wabash College in Indianapolis. Adriel's research focuses on how ancient philosophy can be a resource both for diagnosing contemporary conceptions of political life, of being human, of nature, and of gender, and for presenting alternatives to these accounts. So Adriel and I were grad school roommates while we were at Villanova, and we have been practically inseparable, and I think some would argue largely indistinguishable since. We share a lot of things in common. We're both loud and opinionated and unafraid of a fight, but we're also both deeply committed to justice, to teaching, and to remaining genuinely curious about the world we inhabit, both IRL and digitally. I have a lot of love and a ton of respect for Adriel, and I'm so pleased to have her join me today. Welcome, Adriel. Thank you, Lee. Right back at you. I think few people would not be able to distinguish you from me. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think that we have a lot in common. <laughs> okay, so Adriel, I am going to ask you the first question that I've asked the other guests, and I'm hoping I can sort of keep this as a part of the structure of the show. But could you summarize Striking Vipers? Yes. So uh, this episode begins, and I think that this is uh, important and significant, begins with a woman in a bar and a man comes up to her and it looks like they are meeting and they're flirting and he's trying to pick her up. And then we soon see that they are a couple and that they've been a couple, that this was kind of play acting. Then they meet their friends. They, the guy in the relationship is into uh, video games, playing video games. And the other person that they meet at the bar is all is somebody that he likes to play video games with. They had been roommates before, so they're really good friends. He gets a video game for his birthday and he starts playing the video game. It's like a fighting game. It's called Striking Vipers. And there's this moment where they kiss and then they kind of, well, the initial person that we first meet kind of freaks out. So his name is Danny, Danny and Carl. You can see that he's uh, trying to deal with this and think about what's happening. I think it's important to note that in the video game, he is a man, but Carl, his friend, has become a woman. You know, there's a lot of trash talk, but it's certainly recognizably gendered. And so this is this kind of freaks him out a little bit. But then they return to the game and they're like, no, no, no. Uh, after having the I was drunk excuse, they go back. Ah, uh, we all know it well. We all know it well. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to go back and play the game for, you know, for real. And uh, they this time end up having sex. And this then the game becomes the place that they go to have sex. Meanwhile, their lives are continuing in real life, although I think the line between in real life and what's happening virtually is importantly blurred in ways I'm hoping we can talk about. 
But so Danny's wife is trying to get pregnant and this is, becomes part of what their struggles or their tensions are about. And it becomes clear that what he's doing in the video game is preventing him from having a, a sex life with his wife. You know, she's putting some pressure on him to get her pregnant. And so that probably is part of the awkwardness and maybe what makes him more feel like relaxed with the friend in the video game. So uh, there's this kind of tension that continues to be at work. And then at a certain point, he just puts a stop to it. So Danny puts a stop to it. Carl's kind of upset about it, but they go on. And there's a birthday where Danny's wife, Theo, invites Carl over. And uh, this has been after they haven't spoken for a long time because Carl wanted the video game sex to continue. And uh, uh, Danny did not. So Carl comes over, they have dinner. Carl's like, why can't you do this anymore? And there's kind of a fight. And then Danny asks him to meet up after dinner. And so they go and they meet and they try to kiss and they don't feel any sparks. And so they're like, okay. Then they fight. There's a funny scene after that where, of course, if it's not <laughs> fighting, they're kissing and having sex. Yeah. Uh, so they get arrested, which is a weird, I'm not really sure what it has to do with the show. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. this becomes a plot device to they get- They get arrested for fighting, by the way. Not for fighting. Not fighting. for kissing. Not yes. for kissing. That's probably important. So, But I think maybe that becomes the moment that's like a crisis where he has to tell his wife. And so we don't see him tell his wife, but we see that there's a kind of moment of truth that's about to come about. And then we see the closing scene that he and his wife have established some kind of agreement where once a year he'll have this interaction with Carl and she will go to a bar and pick somebody up. So it's like they're, they're, they're competing fantasies or maybe they're matching fantasies they both get to go live out. Maybe one thing that I would just add is that the way this episode is set up, this game, Striking Vipers, is a fully immersive virtual reality experience. And so right. they initially actually feel in their in real life physical bodies the fight that they're having in this game. And then later we're to understand that they feel in their in real life physical bodies the sexual encounter that they have in the game, although it is important to remember that Carl feels that sexual encounter as someone with a woman's body would feel it. Uh, right. Or a and female, this is a female made, body, I should say, yeah. This is made explicit at a certain point inside the game when they're talking about what it's like for him as the woman to have sex. And he describes how he's having a different experience as a woman having sex. Maybe we should stop right here and figure out how we're going to talk about the difference between sex and gender in this. <laughs> because he describes how he feels having sex in a female body. And even though he understands himself as gendered male and the, or gendered as a man, and the the character that he's playing is gendered as a woman. Yes, yeah, I, I do think that this is important. But but before we get I think to, it's important yeah. and also complicated because and contra and and this is and you know, controversial. Yes. Yeah. So, so we're recording we're recording this in November of 2020. This is an you know an extremely controversial topic on 
Twitter and, you know, in the world, but obviously most importantly on Twitter. <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, well, I would say one way to talk about gender is to say, and there's lots of different arguments about this, but a kind of generic sense is to say that gender is uh, about a social expression, about a way that one is acting in the world. Yeah, so, yeah. The way that it's connected or related or comes out of the body is perhaps a separate issue, but let, we could just think about gender as being some kind of social expression, some kind of way of being in the world, a way of acting, a way of appearing, a way of situating yourself in relation to other people and other roles that you have. I think that that's significant because I think it's interesting that that means that Carl in some ways is playing one role. And, and is a person who considers himself to live in real life in a different role. I do think that in the game, Carl experiences himself as also having a female body. Correct. So there is the sense that he's, he's living within this role. But I think that there is also, so if you... If we can talk about the multiple ways, you know, and I think I probably agree with the like Judith Butler view of how gender is the lens through which we see sex, so that that sex itself is not even a fundamentally grounded material. But, you're talking about se sex as an identifier, not sex the act. Yes, yes. I think insofar as as we can see that it's still about a way of perceiving material bodies, that there still seem to be two kinds of material bodies at work here. One is in the virtual reality and one is in meat space. Can we say meat space? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, especially in these contexts, we can say meat space. Yeah, I mean, I think we can come back to this later, but I do think that's an important distinction because I, one of the questions I have about Carl's experience of this sexual act is whether or not he is, in fact, experiencing sex as a woman, gendered woman, or whether or not he's experiencing sex as a man with a female body. That seems like an important distinction. But before we get to that, because, you know, we're, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves here, let me just go ahead and ask you the question that everyone asks about this episode. Seems like on all, all of the online chats about this episode, people are obsessed with this question, are they gay? So is that even the right question to ask, right? You know, or is, is that fundamentally the wrong question to ask? I think you're right that people get obsessive about that question. Question. When, when they encounter this episode, their response is, hmm, are they gay? And in a way of kind of like sorting out how do we categorize people and how do we maintain these categories, I think that question is about maintaining categories. And I think the ways that we think about what work the categories are doing can help us think more about what's happening in the show. There's this quick move that you often see people make where there's this sense of like people will betray their sexuality in some way that maybe they were hiding or that they didn't have control of and that will emerge and it will show the truth that you can then locate and say, ah, like now we know what what's happening, like what your real desire is. And I think that way of thinking it shows something about what we're asking for. Like the truth of desire is something that you can't control that's somehow going to emerge. And we want to get at it. We want to get at it for whatever reason. What are we going to do when we get at it? But we are going to try to get at it. 
There's this great book by Jane Ward called Not Gay, Sex Between Straight White Men. And the idea is some men have sexual encounters with one another that they don't take to identify them as gay. So I do think it's important to note that the characters in this episode are not white. So it's two black men. We can think of all the intersections of these dynamics at work. So uh, Ward's analysis of white men, I think, is important. And I'll say why. Because it seems that some men have sexual encounters with one another that they don't want to think have any bearing on their identity because uh, straightness and gayness are not understood to really be about even desire or where you put your parts, but about your investment in normativity, that your investment in seeming normal, your investment in having a certain role of power in the social world. So uh, that sense of what makes you straight or gay, I think, is part of why people have the I want to be able to categorize you. And that I think often comes from straight people or people who have their identity appear as straight who want to say, you have a lower social position in this world. You are less normative than I am. And I'm showing up well as in a normative way. By normative, yeah. I mean like following a certain set of rules that give you more power or value. Yeah, and I think that's actually spot on. You know, this is what in academia and now thankfully in larger culture, this is how people use the term queer, both as a verb, you can kind of queer things is to kind of upset the normative structure, the normative rules of those things, or queer being identified as sort of outside of an obedience to the normative structure or the normative rules. I do want to say, though, that a lot of times when I teach about sexuality in my courses, I think it's really important to bring out that we are not of one mind as a society, as a culture, about what sexuality is. I mean, I think it is the case that for some people, it's about where you put your body parts. And for other people, it's about desires. And for even other people, it's about self-identification or how one is identified by one's family or culture or religion or surroundings. And most of the time, all of those criteria are not in alignment with one another. It's probably the case that all of them are significant in some way and insignificant in other ways. But it is a crucial plot point of striking vipers that Danny and Carl decide for themselves, whether or not they're gay. And they, the way they choose to do this is to, you know, meet, they, they meet up, they're like, okay, let's just kiss. And if there's sparks, then we're gay. And if there's not sparks, then we're not gay. So just working on their understanding of what homosexuality is, it seems to be about reconciling a certain kind of desire satisfaction that accompanies certain kind of acts and also produces a kind of emotional, romantic, whatever connection. And on their own test, they are not gay. So why, you know, given that this is part of the story, why do you think that people are so obsessed with this question in this episode? Are they gay? You're listening to Black Mirror Reflections with today's guest, Adriel Trot. At the conclusion of this episode, please check in to our post at readmore, writemore, thinkmorebemore.com 
for a list of helpful links and further readings about things that are referenced in this episode. It's interesting that you asked that. There's this, there's a moment after the first time they have sex in the video game where I think it's the Carl character, I mean by character, the character in the VR now. Who, who, says, who is Roxanne, I think. Or who's Roxanne. Roxanne, yes, thank yeah. you. Who says, I guess that's us gay now. Yeah. And then the response to that is, it doesn't feel like a gay thing. I think that there is something about their desire. You see these moments when they fight with each other, when they interact, that they're quite close. Being in the video game gives them a kind of alibi. It gives them a place where they can pursue these desires without feeling like they're taking on whatever kind of social stresses or resistance that might accompany it so that they can pursue this whatever they're feeling toward one another in a way that then functions as a this is what I think of Jane Ward's account of it as in terms of an alibi. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I hope that people are aware that there are a billion sites on the internet that already serve this function for people to kind of work out their desires, their fantasies in ways that they would not do in Meetspace. But I do think that the super addition of the technology in Striking Vipers of a fully immersive virtual reality really does force us to ask ourselves, how much do we even understand our desires? Our desires are so limited by this extremely limited meat space container that we're in. But if I could change literally my body's form and its capacities at will, would I understand myself as having a whole different rainbow of desires, a set of desires? You know, some things that just seem unimaginable to me, not just because I'm afraid of the sort of sanction of my family or society or whatever, but just unimaginable to me. I mean, and, and there's this one hilarious scene where Carl says, you know, after they've broken up and Carl apparently just kind of gets sort of obsessed with this game, trying to find a way to feel that again with other players or in other games. And at one point, you know, he tells the story about being in a game and having sex with a polar bear. Uh, you know, it's a like, white bear reference. I know there's so many. Yeah. <laughs> Black Mirror, there's a lot of white bears in Black Mirror across the many seasons. Yeah. But, you know, but he, you know, he says, he's like, I yeah. had sex with, you know, he says it, repeats it. I had sex with a bear, man, like trying to replace you. But, you know, this idea that given that kind of freedom, I don't know, a, you know capacity at least to have a kind of, you know, mutability about the form with which we both pursue and satisfy desires is really what's the most interesting thing about this uh, virtual reality thought experiment. I think that that suggests that the better question than are they gay is, do they have sex with one another? See, that's, that is a question that I do want to ask. But I think the better question is, are they straight? Oh. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like it seems to me that what this episode shows is that you know if we're if we're to sort of read it as a kind of everyman story you know that any of us given the ability to escape these mortal coils and imagine ourselves differently and actually have experiences differently than we do 
would probably find that, again, the, the range of our desires is much broader and more interesting and more diverse than we tend to think, you know, than the kind of limited categories that we give it. But yeah, let's talk about whether or not they have, they actually have sex with, actually, I mean, actually is a weird word. They virtually have sex with one another. They feel it in their actual meat space bodies. Mm-hmm. What's the difference? Black Mirror Reflections is mostly a labor of love and at the moment entirely ad-free. If you'd like to keep it that way, please consider donating to us at patreon.com backslash Black Mirror Reflections. That's patreon.com backslash Black Mirror Reflections. And now, back to our interview. So I think that this gets to some questions that I think you have raised in the past that I have appreciated having to think more carefully about them, about what does it mean to say that virtual reality or or even the ways people talk about social media as if it's not real life, like what does it mean to think of those places as real life, as experiences that are real? What does it mean when we think about the material body as the only real site of experience? So are we limiting ourselves? As I was thinking about this episode, I was thinking about how Descartes' analysis of the self that seems to be the self is the mind and the body is the machine for the mind that so often in the ways that we talk about what counts as real experiences, like that, oh, well, that was just on social media. Or, or when people say, um, well, I think we're just friends on Facebook. Like, that's not really friends. Yeah, just friends on Facebook. yeah right. So uh, this division of the world of experiences of the true experiences and the less true experiences, we want to think, oh, well, we're with Descartes on that account because we're saying the mind can move across these mediums. But I think, in fact... The real truth of Descartes' analysis there is that it has to be the same machine that makes the mind that mind. That's the part that we're wedded to, that we want the the body to be the machine of the mind. And when it turns out that there could be other ways of having experiences with that same mind, we think like, "Mm, I don't know, that doesn't seem like it's as real. But I think that Carl and Danny are having a real experience in virtual reality that's that's messing with their lived experience in real life. Like they're like, I don't know what to do now because of that experience. This reminds me a lot of catfish, you know, both the actual phenomenon of catfishing, but in particular, the the original Neve Shulman mm-hmm. documentary film, Catfishing, which by the way, is where catfishing got its name, right? So oh, really? for, I'm assuming anyone listening to this knows that what catfishing is, is when someone adopts a, you know, so-called fake uh, personality online and then, you know, interacts with uh, someone else. But the term came from an actual experience that Neve Shulman, uh, the creator of Catfish, the documentary film, and then later the MTV series, television series, uh, had where he basically got catfished. There was an older sort of mid-40s 
woman being in Michigan, I think, who got into this kind of long extended, first by chat, then by phone, mostly happening through Facebook relationship with Neve. And they fell in love and Neve eventually decides just to show up, right? And see who this is. And of course, finds out the photos that he had seen and the person that he was expecting was not what he saw. And, you know, one of the really interesting things is, of course, it is the case, right, that there appears to be some lie there. These are not my real photos. This is not my real name. Some of the details about myself that I've relayed to you in the course of our establishing this relationship were untrue. But the relationship is real. That You know, they had hours and hours and hours of text messages and chats. And all of those, all of us know, are the meat of a relationship, right? <laughs> I mean, they, they're what constitute the reality of a relationship. Now, interestingly, at, at the end of the film, uh, the documentary film, they actually interview the, the woman who catfished Neve. They actually interview her husband, who is kind of this yokel who is not fully aware of everything that has happened but he tells this story about how it used to be the case that when they shipped salmon i think from china to the united states that by the time the shipment got to the united states that the salmon would be all mushy and so they decided to put a few catfish in the tanks with the salmon when they shipped them the point being that the catfish would constantly kind of nip at the salmon. They would keep them moving. They would keep them active. And so we call catfish catfish, not because they're liars, but because they're the people that keep us on our toes, that keep us moving, that keep us guessing, that keep us, you know, trying to make sure that we're, we're, we're getting where we want to go healthily. Right. And so I do think that I completely, sorry to sort of bring you back full circle. I completely agree with you that, as you know, I mean, I've said this many times, that this idea that, you know, virtual life, digital life, online life is not real life is a gross misunderstanding of how we actually live our, live our lives. That there, there is a lot that's real about it, and we can't simply pick up our understandings of truth and lies or reality and virtuality or any of those things and just transport them into this entirely different realm without some loss or some, you know, misunderstanding. There's one point where Carl is trying to talk Danny into another encounter in virtual reality where he says, it's not cheating, it's not real, it's like porn, which is so good because I think it captures so well the ways that we think about the virtual reality encounter But I think also, especially this part at the end about it's like porn, I think that Carl's being a little bit disingenuous there. You know, if you think about porn as the kind of not the real thing, it's like the the shortcut to the pleasure or the satisfaction that doesn't have something kind of authentic. I actually think that there's something between them that does get more authentic in their virtual reality encounters. And that's what keeps drawing them back to it. So the polar bear is a is a foil to what he has with Danny. It's not as good as any other kind of engagement he can have. Yeah, and again, like what they're looking for is not only about this physical feeling of a sexual encounter, right? They're looking for some other 
very complex and not entirely articulable set of desires that are being satisfied in this experience. Yes, I think that's right. But I do think that it's worth our considering why we take the virtual reality itself as the whole, as an alibi. Like, why is it that yeah. we, in an where virtual reality is increasingly available to us, that we think of, well, that's not really me. That's not what's really happening. Mark my words, we are the last generation who will be able to get away with that excuse. Like, I, I think that the students that we are teaching right now will, you know, by the time they're our ages, will laugh hysterically at the fact that people thought that they could get away with saying, oh, but it's not real. It's just online. I mean, honestly, I, I laugh. I laugh at that, you know. I, but sorry. I wonder if there is something in that response that tells us maybe the next generation will have the, another thing that they will use as what's not real. So there's some kind of deferral that we want to find the place where we can say, I'm doing something or experiencing something or thinking about. So there's something out there that's not, it's not quite me. I can kind of dally with it, but I don't have to be implicated by it. I yeah, I mean, I, I do. I think this has been around as long as we've been around, right? I mean, we human, not you and I, but we humans have been around. I mean, that we've always found ways to sort of displace the most severe version of our own responsibility, right? I mean, I think we see this in many religious traditions, right? It's like, well, that's just this life. And, you know, what really matters is in right. the next life, right? Or, or, this is you the know, virtual reality of a life to come. <laughs> right. Or I think, you know, I had a, a student several years ago who was a vet. He had served in Afghanistan. And, you know, he talked a lot about this, too. He's like, it's almost as if when you're in the military, when you're in Afghanistan, you're doing the things that you're doing. You're like, but none of this really counts. Right. You know, I'm in this world. This is not what really counts. There are a whole different set of rules here. You know, the real me is not implicated by this or in this. So I think that we've always had that, right? Um, but I, it is interesting to think, like, what, what will the next one be? Yeah, I, I think that's really true. I think the example of the military being a place where you say this becomes another a theater of action, right? Don't they talk about it as like the... Yeah. Yeah. Theater. That also makes me think more about the fact that these characters are black and the ways that there's a certain privilege of whiteness and being able to say, oh, that wasn't real. Like the, the zones in which one can say that seem to expand more. I have to admit when at the end when they are fighting and the police show up, I thought kind of like the end of Get Out. I thought that was going to go much worse. When the yeah. showed up, yeah, and it did. That's a pretty, that's a more generous interpretation than I gave as to why Charlie Brooker and Animal Jones chose to make the characters black. I thought that it was a kind of not at all subtle reference to the the so called on the download culture, which I did not. Which is one of the one of my biggest problems with this episode. And and you know, there's no evidence either way that it is or it isn't but um it does seem problematic i mean first of all let's just let's just go ahead and acknowledge that black mirror for the majority of the five seasons is you know hashtag black mirror so white so the, you know that this is the episode where we have um you know yeah, i suppose we do have a we have a black protagonist in uh 15 million merits and also in black museum 
but mostly most of the stories are are mostly of white people yeah so this is an interesting choice and may problematically play into the kind of exoticization of black sexuality and you know and Mm -hmm. so i think there there are a lot of criticisms i think that we could make of that let me just make one uh, quick pivot to um, the actual technology here, because uh, I, I think that people are not aware that the machine intimacy industry is a thirty billion dollar a year industry. That yes, there, I want to hear you talk more about this. Yeah, that, like, you know, I, I sometimes joke that when we talk about you know our future with robots, that my students ask three questions: Will it kill me? Will it take my job? And can I have sex with it? And the, the question is, yes, you can have sex with a robot. Yes, people do have sex with robots. Um, it is. It know, will and, kill you. <laughs> well, the sex won't kill you, but yeah. But this is a really interesting question, given at least an American culture and, you know, Western culture, broadly speaking, but the sort of centrality of sex and sexuality, the, act, the sex act and sexuality for our understanding of ourselves, it is going to be really interesting how the how you know the swift development of these technologies and the rapid uptake of them as they develop really starts to change how we understand these things. And I just want to give a shout out to Kate Devlin and her amazing book, which is called Turned On. It's about sex and robots, um, and I've taught it several times, and it's a really fantastic account of the whole industry. But do you see this as becoming more acceptable? I teach this class on the concept of nature and the way that it gets used to make arguments about how we organize the social world. And at the end of the course, I teach this novel by Marge Piercy called Woman on the Edge of Time. It was written in the 70s. The novel depicts two future worlds, both of which have used technology to organize the ways that, well, I would say both sex and gender are manifested. One of those worlds has made it possible for everyone to, everyone who wants can lactate and child or reproduction is done by technology. So nobody has to bear the burden for it. And this has allowed them to on the assumption that gender is based on uh, reproductive roles, uh, they have uh, been able to uh, almost dissolve gender as a meaningful organizer of their society. And so it's the ways that people are depicted. It's very difficult to say, like, who is of what gender, because that's no longer a significant marker. In the other world, they have used technology to uh, basically turn some people into emphatically or enhanced beings for sex so that they've made the humans more like robots for the possibility of uh, sexual pleasure. And I think the comparison here gets to some of these issues about virtual reality, the sense that technology is not going to necessarily be good and the source of progress. Technology is also not necessarily going to be awful, but it does seem like real decisions are going to need to be made. So one of the fan pages or, that was talking about this episode was dismissive of it because it was saying it wasn't realistic, this wasn't possible. And here was the point that really stopped me up and concerns me. They said it would have to be really deliberate 
for the feelings, the censors to be possible. And that probably wouldn't even have been legal. So they were particularly talking about how this would have been legislated and controlled because that seems like not something that's good for society. But I think that that's sort of absurd. Like what's good for society is that we have like <laughs> Facebook is a public utility. That would be good for society. <laughs> Like they, they yeah. should have made illegal that one guy can make money from all of us interacting with our friends. Yeah. If they know that would have been delivered. I mean, come on. No, I love the confidence of this, you know, whoever wrote this comment that that's what legislation is. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's a document of, you know, ensuring what is good for society. I think that you should reply to that commentary and tell them to delete their account. Uh, <laughs> so I know, I know that we need to wrap it up here. So I'm going to put kind of like three sort of rapid fire final thought questions to you and answer them as you will. So first question is, what should we take away from this episode? Second is, what is in your mind something about our future that this episode makes you worry about? And third, um, do you think that this is one of the utopic or dystopic Black Mirror episodes? Oh, those are great questions. Thanks. That's why they pay me the big bucks to be the hostess. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> You're getting the big bucks. Just one more reminder that you've been listening to Black Mirror Reflections with your host, Dr. J. And before we wrap up with our guest today, Adriel Trot, keep in mind that you can donate to us on patreon.com backslash Black Mirror Reflections. You can also check out a great list of links and further reading provided by both me and Adriel Trot at readmorewritemorethinkmorebemore.com. That's readmorewritemorethinkmorebemore.com. And now let's get back to the final thoughts from Adriel Trot. What should we take away? I think we should take away a willingness to appreciate the the ways that desire can work in different registers in different places and to take that seriously. I think we should take away thinking about the multiple ways that desire works in different registers. The, we recognize that we have more multiple registers, social media, virtual reality, meet space in which we live and engage. Thinking about how we are responsible in each one of them. So I think that there's a danger in seeking out the spaces of the alibi. You know, I think we saw this at a certain point in the late aughts, early tens of online being such a mean place because it felt like people were like, this isn't real life. I think that that can be really problematic. So I don't think that we should say those places are bad because they just serve as alibis. We have to take them seriously as other places for human existence and human interaction. So I don't think that Carl and Danny are, are somehow wrong. I mean, I think that they're exploring 
multiple possibilities of their humanity that this virtual game allows them. And I think that they're trying to deal with new things about themselves that they hadn't encountered before. And I think that there's something worthwhile about that. But I think using that as a, oh, but this over here isn't me, so I can do some other thing, that's the part that we should be careful about. So what do I worry about? Well, I, I think I do worry about this point about taking seriously that these technological advances are coming and that we need to make collective political decisions of how we want them to be, that we should not allow the market to decide what they're going to be like, that we need to say that this is, this is on us and we should take that back from just, oh, if you make it, people will buy it. That should not be why or whether it's something you can purchase. So I think we need to think about how we legislate and control and manage and make it good for humans, make it for the flourishing of humans and not turning humans into more like robots. And so I think that there is something utopic about this episode. I think the ending where they seem to have negotiated how they're going to manage this. So it's not going to be the secret that Danny can't talk to his wife Theo about, but it's going to be something that they think about how they incorporate that into their lives. And she has her thing too, that she is going to do. So that makes it seem more utopic to me, though. I would probably say that I'm not sure that everyone is on an extreme. In some ways, this is more like almost the middle of the road. It's not, it's like, oh, this is just us in the next five minutes down the road of how we're going to act and with all the difficulties we're still going to have in five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really agree with you in your sort of characterization of that final scene. And I also sort of see this episode as more utopic than dystopic. I also see this final scene as uh, them making a decision about how they're going to incorporate a new technological development in a healthy way into their human lives. And in this way, I see it very similar to that final scene in Be Right Back, where we see, you know, robot Ash in the attic, which some people see as dystopic, but I actually That's see it as utopic. Mm -hmm. So, Adriel, thank you so much for joining us today. This was really a pleasure, and I hope that maybe I can convince you to come back for another episode later. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great to talk to you. You've been listening to Black Mirror Reflections. Check us out and please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you download your regular podcasts.